You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right, your boy is back, back for another episode of the X-Man Podcast. Thank you so much for checking out the show. This is Doc Coyle, back not in a hotel room this week from an actual, well, my, my actual little home studio here. My little, I don't even know how big, it's not very big at all. <laughs> I used to have a much bigger space. That's all right. All right, we get it done, baby. We get it done over here. But yeah, it's been a crazy few weeks and i mentioned it on, on the last show but it became luckily it became public knowledge right after that i've been hard at work jamming with the wedding band with uh rob trujillo and kirk hammond from metallica whitfield crane from ugly kid joe john theodore from queens of stone age and new member of the group john oh john Mark Asagueda, the singer from Death Angel. So we have two vocalists, and we've been jamming. We've been put, putting the hours in, and it's kept me kind of honed in on that, and it's kind of weird because it's right when the Bad Wolves album came out, so it's like kind of weird where we put the album out, and we have a bunch of stuff doing on that, interviews and promotional things like that, and then also I'm knee-deep rehearsing, so... I just got back home. My room was a mess. My studio was a mess. So I had to like put away all my guitars, organize some stuff. I'm still not done organizing, but I'm trying to get my shit back together, which takes some time. By the way, the wedding band show, just so you know, we're playing after Metallica. Did I mention this on last episode? <laughs> I can't remember. We're playing after Metallica uh, on December 17th on their 40th anniversary show at the Fillmore, but the show sold out in one day. So if you're hoping to get tickets, my apologies. You have, you've missed out on the reindeer fun and games, but should be great. Should be great. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready to get back into bad wolves world. I have to learn a lot of these new songs. And so I got to get to work. So we can start jamming because we're going on tour pretty damn soon next year, January in Europe with Mark Tremonti. Very exciting. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Yeah, uh, got some episodes coming up. Got locked in some interviews with Adam Warren, the singer from Oceano, the homie. So glad to finally get him on the show. And a big one, big one for me, I think big one for this show, Mr. John Bush of Armored Saint, formerly of Anthrax. 
And I didn't get a lot of time with him, but I made the most of it. Hopefully I did, but that was a real, real pleasure to, to have him on. And then I, I posted about this, but I, I am embarrassed to say I, I did an interview, a great interview that I forgot to record. I'm not going to say who it was with yet because I just I, I think I'll bum you out. Maybe when I'm going to redo it with this person. So hopefully we'll see if it comes up. But maybe if I can get away with it where it just feels seamless, I won't even mention it. It'll be like you never knew. But it was extremely demoralizing. And then it's kind of led to all this weird technical issues. <laughs> so I have some of my episodes, including this one coming up, I just had some weird mic recording just i don't know there's some bad mojo with with the recording side of things i mean it's not terrible but i like to keep that the technical side of it pretty locked in so i apologize over the next few weeks if there's some inconsistency with the recording quality it's not the x-man standard but it does happen so i'm just trying to get my mojo back get, get in the flow of getting interviews done and that's what i'm doing we're getting some work done all right, I'm not gonna belabor you too long with an intro. We have a sponsor, and this week's sponsor sponsored the show like a month ago. I don't know, it wasn't wasn't that long ago. Anyway, they're a band from North Carolina, I believe. They're called Aceity, and this is a brand new song from them called Insanity.
So you just heard Aciety with their brand new single, Insanity. I thought that was pretty cool, pretty heavy, pretty melodic and atmospheric, very ethereal. I was digging it. I suggest all of you go and check out the music video for this song. And just, just you know, the way the band's name is spelled, because the way it's said, maybe you might not, not be sure. It's A-S-E-I-T-Y. But anyway, go check out the music video because they put some money in this thing. It's it's very cool, very high concept, very colorful and, and haunting. And uh, I also have to mention that this song has a guest vocalist by the name of Orion Stevens, who sings for the band... I have the name right here. What are they called? Yes, In Dying Arms. Excuse me. Sorry about that. And yeah, so this is a CAD's second time sponsoring the show, which tells me X-Men fans are moving the needle, which is really, really what matters. So all thanks to them for sponsoring the show for the second time, just in a short time. It's unbelievable. And the band is pretty new. Everything seems to revolve around their singer, uh, Monica So, who's very talented. And yeah, just go check them out. I would say go to their website, uh, band.com and it has all all the links for Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. And they also have a link tree, which is Aciety Official. And you know, go there, pre-save it. They have a few songs out, but you know, they're they're doing things and tell them Doc Coil sent you. And if you'd like to sponsor the show, you know, did you get up in the DMs or shoot me an email at the Xman Podcast at gmail.com. Remember. That is EX. May take you a few weeks to get on because we're a little backed up, but that's how it goes sometimes when when the show is running. Alrighty, with all that out of the way, let's just give a quick intro to the show. So this this the show is going to be a little different. I essentially assembled a panel to discuss kind of what I chipped at a little bit when I did my solo episode a couple weeks back about how to interpret. Uh, these first week record sales, uh, st- against streaming, what the numbers mean, how do you break all this stuff down? And I've assembled really an all-star panel here, and it's all people who have been guests on the show, but I brought them all together, like the Avengers of uh, <laughs> heavy metal stat nerddom, and uh, we're, we're going full money ball today. So we've got Eric German, artist manager who works with Bad Wolves, Five Finger Death Punch, Asking Alexandria, just name a few, Avenged Sevenfold, and who's very deep into this stuff with with the numbers and trying to figure out what it all means. And then we have Mike Mowry, artist manager with 10th Street, manages Ice Nine Kills, who's doing very well, Lorna Shore, who's doing very well, and is very clued into this stuff as well. And we also have Ryan Downey, who also manages Demon Hunter and the producer Zeus, who's also been on the show. And uh, he is the host of the Speak and Destroy Metallica podcast and also has this newsletter, which we we get into that covers all this stuff. So I'm really not going to set it up too much. I think it it speaks for itself. And I think it's a really important conversation uh, for those who kind of care on the industry side or even bands who are coming up and trying to go, hey, what does it mean when we get this many streams? What does it mean when we maybe don't make this chart? Uh, so it's, it's. I think you guys are going to love it. So let's enjoy the uh, the streaming data symposium with several incredible guests. <laughs>
So, welcome to what I'm calling the X-Men Streaming Symposium. And I have a, uh, a gallery of very formidable minds in the record industry for, for, for many years. In one corner, I feel like there's like a boxing match. In this corner, we have uh, Mike Mowry, uh, manager Outer Loop. Is it, it's no longer, is it still Outer Loop or is it now you're part of the... It is no longer Outer Loop, it is 10th yeah. Street. He's part of ten, the 10th ten Street family, What part, you know, as, as am I. Yeah, it's getting real, real, uh, real crazy over here. We have Eric German, entertainment lawyer, also represents Bad Wolves, the man. In addition to many, many other bands. And Ryan Downey of too many uh, credits <laughs> to list. You know, um, but but his main credential, the reason why he is here and he came in last minute like a shooting star, is that he has a newsletter that details in data about sales and streams and YouTube and all the stuff. So he's got the receipts as it were. So welcome gentlemen to the show. Thank you, doc. What an intro. And can I just clarify that from my end, Ryan had the first seat in the house. It's just that we got him in here last. Ooh, ooh, yes, yes. I, but that's the thing, actually, I, I feel uh, a little bad about, I, we probably should have thought about you first. And, uh, but, but I think this idea started in a very kind of I think, I think what you mean to say is you should have thought about me. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm did. saying. Exactly. I'm <laughs> I, I take I take all the blame. But either way, we we, we made it work out. But uh, so we're in this very interesting kind of nether region, I think, in trying to kind of examine where it's bands are at, especially in, in our environment. Right. Because we're so in this kind of silo um, semi removed from this other music industry, right? The pop and the hip hop and the indie world. And so we're used to kind of having all these analytics to see, especially like in regards to someone like Mike, right? Who has to work with bands and go, where does my band stand? Where do we worth? What's our, right? And uh, and so we're using these metrics and then we're going, hey, does this metric, is it valuable? Are we, are we moving on? And that's something me and Eric talk, talk a lot about uh, with our record, record label, Better Noise, which has moved beyond a lot of this stuff and is, and is saying, hey, we're, we're, we're not worried about record sales. We're, doing, we're just going for streams. And then now we have these articles that come out. It seems like every two weeks, there's an article that comes out uh, that kind of dances on a band's grave <laughs> about such and such band didn't make the Billboard charts for the first time. And... I don't think it's fair the way they're framing these uh, these articles, um, and I could and I could be wrong. But uh, but anyway, uh, I guess the best way to kind of do this, I'll just go man for man. Uh, so I'll start with Mike. Where do you, where would you say we stand currently in this streams versus sales versus first weeks? What's your kind of philosophy on how to analyze this stuff currently within our genre? Well, first and foremost, thanks for having me. Uh, sure. Is there a little echo going on? Is that on my end or in your think end? Just, think it's just you. Perfect. Even better. And, <laughs> um, you know, look, Eric and I talk about this stuff all the time as well. Um, you know, he lives and breathes it. Ryan and I have been friends and colleagues in some capacity for a really long time. And I'm a huge fan of, of his work. And you're right. I'm always looking for a way to help artists and the industry perceive where an artist 
truly is, right? And there's so many metrics. There always has been, and there continues to be more and more and more, right? And at one time, and I love how you framed it that you're right. We are in our own little corner of the world. We're not pop. We're not mainstream rock, although some of some of the artists are, but most of the artists that I've worked with in my career are not, right? More underground or, or warp tour or whatever it may be, developing artists. And I've always wanted to find ways to compare their worth, right? Uh, you alluded to these articles that come out, which I would agree. I think they're a little unfair um, because they don't account for a lot of the things that the public wouldn't know is happening, right? So what goes in, you know, I think one of the things we should do is really define what we're talking about in terms of first week sales and how that's measured. Ryan might be better suited to actually answer that. So I'll let him do it. But I would say we're in this, you know, challenging spot where, the number means something more to certain people mm. than it does to other people. The main artist I manage, and, and let me make it clear that my opinions are the ones of Mike Mowry, right? They're not of the artists that I represent. They're not of the company that I work for. They're solely me based on my experience in the business. Um, but certain artists that I work with, they come from an era where first week sales meant a lot, right? Yeah. And there's this carryover you happen to be on a label, you know, uh, of which the CEO is a very forward thinking man who I think is trying to help artists escape from some metrics that might be limiting. Right. And I think it's beautiful for us to be able to have this discussion because there's not a clear cut answer. If there were, we wouldn't be here. And everyone on here probably has a different take on uh, you know, sort of the, the same or a different view of what I think is kind of the same uh, approach, which is it matters at times <laughs> and it doesn't matter at other times. <laughs> and it depends on which side of the argument or which side, what, what agenda you're trying to push. Um, that's, that's really my take on it. Eric, do uh, you want to pivot off that? Yeah, well, First and foremost, I obviously agree with everything that Mike said to a certain point, but I'll phrase it differently. Um, how much does streaming matter or how much do first week sales matter and things like that? We phrase those questions. The truth is, what is the question we're trying to answer? Are we trying to answer where an artist stands vis-a-vis -vis other artists like AB, relative one, which one's more popular? Are we trying to say which one's more credible, which one has a more engaged fan base, which one's going to make more money, which one's more profitable, which one's on the rise, which one? Even that question is difficult to answer uh, uh, if you don't even know, because there's so many different things you might be trying to glean from the question, do, do sales matter or does first week matter? That's number one. Number two is I believe that bands are brands, right? I've been saying this for years. And I think that we're, they're in lots of different businesses. And if you look at TikTok or Instagram or vinyl or CDs or tickets or T-shirts or Spotify or Apple or whatever it is, these brands are trying to branch out into many different areas, right? And there are lots of different businesses that a brand can be present and meet its consumers in a fan club or an app or a video game or whatever. 
And, they, and, and what we're trying to do is take these brands and then move them and push them out in all these different ways. And some people do better on TikTok and sell less vinyl and some people stream uh, and sell less t-shirts and things like that. So if you're asking me, does one particular part of the business matter? Sure. Yeah, because they all fucking matter, right? And I'm trying to make money in 28 different directions if I can, right? But if you're asking me, does one matter more than another? Or is it okay to not focus your resources, time, and energy on a particular metric versus another one? Sure. I mean, not everyone's going to succeed in all places. Look, when we look at other brands, when we look at uh, fast food chains, do we say, you know, Wendy's has a more robust Twitter than Burger King, but Burger King sells more chicken sandwiches. You know, they're all trying to make money in their brands, right? But of course, we're music nerds, right? So we have to make lists and we have to rank and we have to know who's more popular than who and have to figure out which bands to take on tour and have to ways to measure ourselves against one another. So, you know, uh, do, if you really get down to it, streaming is, uh, is to me the long tail. I've mentioned this on other podcasts before, but I've had bands that did okay. And 10 years later, they got a gold record, right? And I've had bands because streaming never ends. In the old days, I bought Master of Puppets probably three or four times, but that's it. Now, there's a lot more money that you make in one sale. And I don't think that selling a CD to somebody and particularly selling a vinyl piece to somebody means they're not going to stream it, right? I don't think it's a replacement. I think it's just a merch item. Yeah. I really do. I don't have a CD in my car. Um, and I think that it's hard to measure first week sales. And we're looking at how much merch basically did you sell on that on sale? You, you know, you're not taking into account T-shirts and umbrellas or whatever the heck uh, the band's selling. And you're also, uh, uh, you don't know, it's not an even playing field. For example, Doc, was your vinyl available day and date with your release? No, our vinyl will, won't be available till May of 2022. It's because there's a supply chain problem, right? And Asking yeah. Alexandria is another band we talked about. They didn't have the vinyl out day and date, right? Yeah, Tri Trivium didn't have vinyl available. They probably would have had a number closer to, you know, an Ice Nine Kills or something. Uh, Ice Nine didn't have vinyl available. And well, there you go. So if Ice Nine would have had an even bigger number, right? So that's a reflection of of where they're at. Um, Ryan, I want to bring you, to, in, 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 you into this conversation as you're someone who is, at the front of, of looking at these metrics with so many artists every day. Um, what's your kind of like snapshot of, of where we're at and kind of examining either a, the meaning of a band having a great first week and the, the opposite of that, a, a, a bigger band having what is perceived as a quote unquote disappointing first week. I think first of all, uh, as Mike said, uh, thank you very much for having all of us on here. Uh, thank you for, leading this conversation and, and starting this conversation, you know, I like the idea that this really spawned from, you know, you saw some tweets from a media outlet that appeared to be dancing on the grave, as you put it, uh, of, a, of a particular band. Well, more than that, just these are actually articles on the site. Yeah, yeah and that uh, you did one of my favorite things, which is you're doing something about it rather than just going, you know, you're like, well, let's have a conversation. Let's open up a dialogue. Let's let's show another point of view. I think that this assemblage of people, obviously, we're all very good friends. We're all colleagues. These are, you know, all three of you are, are three of my favorite people in this thing of ours, as I like to call it. We all have our own 
dynamics with one another. Having said that, I think, yeah, maybe we are going to differ on our viewpoint and about a few of these things. Uh, I'll start by saying this newsletter that I do, which is now called Stream and Destroy. And for people listening who don't know what it is, it uh, counts and measures and tries to quantify a lot of these different metrics that, that Eric has already rattled off. And it is it speaks very specifically to the world that Doc, you and, and Mike both described that is not pop music, it's not pop rock, it isn't hip hop. Uh, it, it's very tailored to hard rock, metal, punk, and related you know, tangential subcultures. Uh, the people who subscribe to the list, by and large, are folks like each of you who work in some area of the business that's tailored to that particular part of the genre. So there are regular readers of it and supporters who play in a lot of bands people listening to this have heard of, manage those bands, book those bands, are promoters who put on those shows, merchandise companies, radio folks, publicists, journalists, so on and so forth. The reason why I think the newsletter has grown as much as it has and continues to have the increasing relevance all the time is because of these questions that we're all asking here on this podcast about what are the numbers we should be looking at? Why should we care about them? And what do they mean? It's obviously a very antiquated idea that pretty much everyone has moved on from now that you could just look at a band's record sales and go, how popular is this band? Well, how many records have they sold? And I remember feeling like that was missing the point, you know, 20 years ago, right? When Alternative Press Magazine puts Puddle of Mud on the cover and Puddle of Mud has sold, you know, 3 million records and has all these top 10 singles and the magazine doesn't sell. And then the next month they put Dashboard Confessional, who at the time had only sold 100,000 records and the magazine has like 100% sell through. And that way back then showed me like, okay, you might have this, you might sell 3 million records or whatever, but if you're the type of artist that has the type of fan that every one of those 100,000 people that bought that dashboard CD are also going to buy a magazine with Dude on the cover, whereas most of the 3 million people that have a Puddle of Mud record wouldn't know a member of Puddle of Mud sitting across the table from them. You know, that already 20 years ago, I was thinking like, well, it's not just record sales that tells you how engaged someone is and or who's on the rise or who's falling or whatever. So having having said all that, the big overview, like I want to really jump into the specifics of these metrics, because the first question that Doc brought up was, you know, bands wanting to and needing to understand where they stand and also where they stand relative to other bands. And that was the initial genesis of this newsletter 10 plus years ago now was bands that I was managing at the time. I started assembling numbers just to show them, to give them an indication of where they stand in the big picture of things. Because as all of us here know, whether they admit it or not, every band is constantly comparing themselves to other bands and, or, or they're asking their team, you know, why did this band get this thing or that thing that we want? How come we didn't get it? Or, you know, the ad map wars, as I like to say, where it's, you know, okay, we're going to put this band next to this band on the ad map, but this one's going to be on the left and this one's going to be on the right because this one did this and this one hasn't done this. And, you know, and every, you know, how many tour packages go out where the main support band is, is saying we should be headlining this thing or, you know, or co-headlining packages where one band is saying, we're the ones drawing everybody. 
And as Mike pointed out earlier, we tend to look at the metrics that favor us in the particular argument at any given moment, right? So how many times have you gone to a show and it's sold out and it's killing and it's crushing and the headlining band is like, look how huge we are. We've sold out this venue. And then how many times you've gone to a show that's underperformed and the headlining band says, look at all these support bands we got sold. We got tricked into taking all these fake big bands that we're <laughs> supposed to draw all these people and they didn't draw anybody. You know, it's like we're all having our cake and eating it too in those in those conversations for sure. You know, when, when, the, when the show's sold out, suddenly the headliner, the opening bands are just a bunch of opening bands. And when it does well, the opening bands are supposed to be pulling all this weight that they're not pulling. So having said that, uh, it, it's not just us being music fans and wanting to make lists about, you know, who has the better album and, and who's more credible and that sort of thing to speak to Eric's point. I think that it's in real practical terms, even setting egos aside, it's to answer questions about how a billing order should run on a tour, who does get paid more than whom, who's drawing the people in, into the shows, but also what bands are doing that's working, that's effective in terms of growing their brand, as Eric puts it, and what maybe you should stop spending time on, right? And if you don't have metrics and ways to measure what you're doing, then you don't know if it's working, right? So you could be putting all your emphasis on radio, for example. And one could argue, you know, Asking Alexandria being one of the bands who sparked this conversation, I'll just use them as an example. They just had a number one song at radio. And that's amazing. And you and you could, I think, persuasively argue that that's more important than having a big first week in sales. Alternatively, I've heard the argument presented that the rock radio charts that we're all looking at don't really mean much because there isn't much rock radio out there. And that having a number one song really only means X number of spins on X number of stations that is so much smaller than maybe what the perception of that is. And then what's your return on investment for however much money is being spent on radio campaigns to drive a song to number one? Is that translating back into increased streams, which will actually generate revenue or sales of you know merchandise or records or people coming out of the shows? Because how many bands can we all name that are successful at radio that don't draw shows. And I, and, I, and I shouldn't actually use asking as an example because I don't want to make them seem like I'm singling them out with any of this stuff because it's, it's much broader. Uh, and to as the last thing I'll say in this kind of overview is that I think that the most important picture is a combination of physical products, you know, CDs, what's left of the CD business, vinyl, merchandise, ticket sales, streaming, social media, and then not just social media, but also engagement on social media. And this is something that, you know, media brands look at in terms of, yeah, maybe your, your publication's Facebook page has 2 million followers, but if you're posting a story and it's getting six comments, uh, what are those 2 million followers worth versus your competitor whose page has half a million followers, but every story is getting, you know, a hundred comments of people talking about the story. So I think that that matters. And I think that you can, you can draw a parallel there to people as brands, right? And you can look at some of these singers per se on, for example, on Instagram who like, you know, okay, this guy's got 5 million followers, but every post is getting 5,000 likes, 
you know, this guy's got a quarter of a million followers. Every post is getting 50,000 likes, you know, all that stuff matters. I think that what's going to happen and, and I I realize there's some self-interest here, but it's also like, you know, you see a need for something. And so you try to fill that need yourself. I think that's how great bands happen. I think that's how a lot of stuff happens. I am hoping to, at some point, and I've, I've been working on it actively with a couple of other people, create some sort of a chart that is specific and authoritative to our genre that takes into account all of these metrics and is very transparent about what metrics are being looked at and where the information is coming from and all of that, but can also just give you a really easy to look at sampling of all these bands that we care about. Here's where each of them stands right now. Here's who's on the way up. Here's who's on the way down. Here's who's hit a plateau for the benefit of the entire scene. Cause how many times have we heard this complaint about who are the next headliners? You know, what, what's going to happen when, you know, Metallica's pushing 60 and what, you know, what's going to happen when all these headliners age out of the game and like, who's going to take their place and all these, well, if we're not paying attention to what's working and what isn't working for all these different bands, we're not really going to know. So again, I know it's, it, it's easy to like dismissively and, and crack jokes for all of us about how all this is, again, it depends on what, whether or not it serves your argument, right? If your band has a bad first week, it's easy to go, no, who cares about these numbers? Well, you care about these numbers. I don't care. But if you have a great first week, suddenly you care that week. Sure. Uh, you know what I mean? It's it's so it's human nature, I suppose. Uh, but the, the last thing I wanted to say to Doc's original points and to part of the reason why we're jumping on here, it's not a fair picture on the one hand to write a story that says, asking Alexandria or Bullet for My Valentine failed to crack the Billboard 200 for the first time ever or for the first time in however many records. Because we all know that now there is so much more than record sales, streaming, merchandise, tickets, socials, all of that stuff matters. And as you said on Twitter, you know, you can easily go look at Bullet for My Valentine on Spotify and go live, you know, millions of, I don't have the specific data right in front about of me. Four, about 4 million monthly listeners. 4 million monthly listeners. Strong so, number. So who cares what their first week did? Let me let me devil's advocate that argument for just a moment. And again, this isn't to single any out, any band or anything. Those 4 million listeners, how many of them are listening to that new album that just had its first week versus how many of them are listening to, and this gets to Eric's point, this could not necessarily a negative thing, about bands as brands, I would wager that the majority of those 4 million people are listening to the whole catalog uh, and and primarily those hits, you know, Tears Don't Fall or whatever, all the songs from Bullet of yesteryear and not necessarily that new album making it proportionately into that rotation. The other thing that I will devil's advocate here is that with only one exception, Right. Like the the drilled down for people listening to this to understand the record charts come from Billboard and and there's a whole other arm of Billboard that those are derived from. But there are specific charts for genres. Right. You've got your rock chart, your hard rock chart, which would be interesting to us specifically. And even within that, you have your current rock albums and then you have your overall rock albums. And those charts are always different. The Billboard 200, which, you know, and I'm going to sound like I'm advocating for Lambcoat here, Van Flip, right? But the Billboard 200 chart does account for streaming. So the argument that 
and again, I'm playing devil's advocate here because I see, I really do see both sides of this. But to say it doesn't matter that Asking Alexandria and Bullet didn't make the Billboard 200, that's not indicative of how big those bands are because look at their streaming numbers. The Billboard 200 does look at the streaming numbers. So if streaming had caught up proportionately to what those bands used to sell once upon a time, they should still be cracking the Billboard 200. This, and I know I said that would be the last thing, but just the one little tiny little addendum to that is that I noticed this was maybe three or four years ago. There was a week where Parkway Drive, I think, sold 13,000 first week. And then the total activity number, which is the number that then accounts like for all of the streaming and everything and does all this math to make sure you're paying attention to streaming, that bumped it up to 14,000, right? So it was like 13,000. And for people to understand what sales are when we talk about sales, it's vinyl, it's CDs, it's also paid digital downloads. I found in doing this newsletter that people who've been in this business for many years and work on this stuff all day still don't quite understand when we're talking about this stuff. Like when someone buys an album for $9.99 on iTunes, that's a sale. When someone buys, when 10 different people buy 10 different tracks from that album, that equals one album sale. So this divide of like physical and digital isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about sales because sales also is including digital which is also including track sales. So having said that, I remember a few years ago noticing Parkway Drive does 13,000 in sales one week. And then when you add in all their streaming, it's 14,000. That same week, the rapper Lil Yachty sold 90 in sales. 90 as in less than 100, right? CDs, digital, paid digital downloads, tracks, equivalents, vinyl, 9,000 total activity. So, and this is demonstrative of other genres versus hard rock and metal. For whatever reason, country music, hard rock, metal, punk, the physicals hung on a lot harder than it has in these other genres. And, and, and you know, so literally that I was able to look at it in a given week and see a metalcore band sell 13,000 and do 14,000 in total activity and see a rapper the same week sell 90 and do 9,000 and total activity. I mean, that is a huge gulf. So I, I guess in, in summary about this, you know, these kind of legacy metalcore bands not making the Billboard 200, does it matter? Does it not matter? Is it the whole picture? Aren't we kind of taking something away from bands like Ice Nine Kills and Spirit Box who are in the same genre as Asking Alexander and Bullet and who are? putting up big numbers first week so could i so so that's exactly where i wanted to kind of move to the next part of this this conversation because my opinion is uh the two conversations are different conversations right so when i see ice nine kills have a great week mastodon spirit box i think that is definitive definitively a metric saying that band is having a moment and, and it's it's a reflection of it's a snapshot in time of the way that band's fan base is engaged in that moment with that particular album. And it's a reflection of that. And that's a, a, a confluence of take a band like Mastodon of literally being the most consistent band in their genre for 20 years, right? And building that, like there were they their fan base is like they're like a mini tool almost, right? Or or Ice Nine building 
this diehard fan base and nurturing that for years and years and then it building to this one moment and making the right album and having the right marketing and having the right videos and all. So I think all that stuff is definitively uh, affirming of certain things that have been done to that moment. That I'm there's that's not ambiguous to me at all. What is the question is, is the inverse mean the inverse thing, right? So what I'm saying is when Bullet has a quote unquote disappointing first week and you go, well, that's because they have 4 million listeners because they're listening to the old songs. I'm like, yo, when Metallica puts out Saint Anger, they don't cease being Metallica. They're still fucking huge. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, so what I'm saying is, Bullet for My Valentine being big means everything that exists beyond their new album. Their new album is only a piece of the puzzle of their bigness, right? So that's so that so that that's that's what I'm saying is 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 so so anyway. So I guess I'll I'll open this up if we want to kind of go in the same order and we start with Mike. Um, does the inverse so a band have a disappointing first week mean the same thing as a band having a great first week? All right. This is the hardest conversation because listening to you guys who are making such great points, I want to chime in at so many places. Sure, sure. Yeah. All right. The one thing I haven't heard talked about just yet is we're not actually comparing apples to apples when you take Asking or Bullet or Bad Wolves versus some of these other artists. And that's because of the way that first weeks are calculated. And it's changed over the years. So Ryan and I have been involved in, you know, the Warp Tour kind of era of bands for the longest time. Rise Records, Sumerian Records, whomever else, right? Fearless Records, where artists used to have first weeks of anywhere from 40 to 75,000 records, right? Uh, uh, in the first week. That's actually a false indicator of what a quote unquote first week is because at the time, what happened was anything that was pre-ordered, right? So it's everything leading up to and including the first week. So if you put a record on sale, as we did for so many of our artists in June when Warp Tour started and your release date was in October, every pre-sale that you made during the month of June, July, August, September, whether it was a road scan or a D to C pre-order or whatever it may be counted. We also were able to take advantage of something called bundling. So if Doc Coyle goes and buys whatever artists, you know, has that record up for pre-sale in June and we deliver him, you know, if you buy a vinyl and we deliver it to you with a digital download at the time, we, that was called double scanning. Some people got so creative with bundling, you could do triple and quadruple scanning. So Doc goes to buy, you know, he loves whatever. Let's just say Mastodon. You go to buy a Mastodon thing. You like the ultimate package. You want the T-shirt and the vinyl is what you really want. But you realize like, oh, this thing comes with a cassette and a CD and a digital download. And it's still within your price range. We're able to deliver four scans at that time, right? For your one purchase. Really all you wanted was one version of it, but we, as people that manage in our labels, we were able to trick the system and give you four scans. So it was an inflated number. Sound scan, Ryan probably knows more than I do, changes the rules at some point. Yeah. So now in the current which, which, climate- Which by the way, sound scan no longer exists. 
right nielsen billboard whoever it is um so the current climate and why these numbers for artists like bullet asking wage war those are some of the ones that i'm thinking recently um the reason that they're not as high and they're not comparable to some of the artists like spirit boxes even the pre-orders right that that happen if they don't ship by the release date they don't count so i'm imagining asking bullet wage war bad wolves all have significant vinyl sales maybe even cd sales you name it um that don't count now when lamb goat says they haven't made this you know they've dropped to their lowest or whatever the headline is it's because you're no longer they're they're comparing two different systems if you will and so i want to just make that very very clear because that is something that i don't think people understand uh especially probably the people reading lamb goat so i think your question was what was the actual question before i well 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 the 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 question is i am of the mind that when the band has a great first week i think that affirms that band's engagement with that particular album in that time that we go hey it's, it's really happening for that record with that band but what i'm saying is if a band quote unquote underperforms because i i think underperforming is subjective based on your expectations and how you promoted a record etc um does that mean the opposite so when you know asking or bad wolves or fear factory has a certain week to, is it going hey we need to watch out this band is kind of they're not really doing what they used to so let's uh <laughs> let's start work the, the public data I can't I can't answer because it's not the complete picture. Sure. Right. If asking sold 10,000 pre-orders of vinyl and they don't count because they're not shipping until December because of, you know, uh, pipeline challenges that everybody's having, then the number that's, you know, the 2,500 units first week, which I saw, doesn't actually count the same way that Spirit Boxes did. Spirit Box had all their vinyl ship, Right. And so that's they sold why 10,000 too. What's that? They sold 10,000 vinyl as well. Yeah, which is very impressive. Beartooth, the same. You know, Ice Nine, we didn't have that, but we were able to, you know, we knew what we were up against and we took some measures to ensure that, you know, we could get people to quote unquote scan the record, right? Engage in a behavior that we knew would count towards scanning that maybe they wouldn't have and we wouldn't have had to focus on if we knew that the vinyl was going to ship, right? And so to me, these articles are unfair because it doesn't say, hey, if Bullet for My Valentine's vinyl shipped the same day as their release date, the number would have been 12,000. Well, can I, can, can I just make a point and I'll, and I'll pass this off to Eric too. I also think there's things that, is the problem with data is that it can be cherry picked and narratives are are woven together from that and there are things that are beyond data right and this is the idea that band x might have a hundred thousand super fans right and band y might have a million more casual fans but band x because they have super fans it will be more reflected in something like a first week band y is still bigger 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, and so the, and so that's why I think these are things that are beyond numbers that we can't calculate that if fan one and fan two buys a record that fan one could be so much more passionate about that record, but the sale counts the same. Right. Make, let me let me make one more point, Eric, before you jump in. Doc, I've been trying to rack my brain of how to make a sports analogy here. Sure. And I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but I think it just came to me. Right. If who's your favorite basketball player? Uh, probably MJ. OK. What if MJ is injured and only plays one quarter of the game? Right. And his numbers are low. Sure. But you don't know that he's only playing a quarter of the game. All you can read is the stat line any given day. And instead of scoring 60 points as he's normally doing, he's scoring a fourth of that. Right. That's what we're dealing with here. Bullet for my Valentine is only playing one quarter. My understanding is the only number that was reported was the streaming number. Yeah. Right. There were no CD sales. There were no, maybe there was digital downloads. There were no vinyl sales. So it's just not a fair comparison. If going back to sports, you know, the other guy, uh, Magic Johnson, you know, is playing a full, is playing a full game. Yeah. Eric. Okay. <laughs> been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> just saying, I'm taking a few notes here. All right. First and foremost, I, I got to clean up on a, on a bunch of different things. Um, First and foremost, there, somebody mentioned, hey, there are bands that have high monthly listener counts that people are listening to their catalogs, right? Dude, everybody knows that there are classic rock bands that go out every summer and play amphitheaters that no one gives a shit about their new music, right? And that's going on forever. What business do you want to be in? Do you want to be Journey? Do you want to be uh, uh, Sticks? Do you want to be like, they make more money than most metalcore bands, I promise you that, but maybe they sell less on their new record. I don't know. Right. And that's to the point that like there are different businesses that you can be in. You can be in a business. Look, we people talk about, you know, bands that do well at active rock radio. Maybe they have a series of number ones. I don't want to call out specific bands, but there uh, there are some bands that there's a perception that they're very successful at the radio format, FM, active rock radio. But they, maybe they don't sell as many tickets or something like that. That's okay. That's a different business too. There's different types of fan base. Sometimes as as these metalcore bands are growing from teenage kind of scene, kind of cult, this is my identity in high school type of thing. And they're becoming more, uh, you know, the soundtrack to people's lives as they're growing up and dealing with kids and mortgages and cars. And they, they, they tend to kind of sell out or become a little bit more active rock radio. And some of those audiences are passive or more passive, but you know, let's talk about, to Mike's point, the fact that they're, um, uh, they're it, it, it also matters, like asking Alexander to put out their first song, Alone Again, six weeks before the album dropped. Same with Bad Wolves, six weeks. Yeah, and they didn't do four different songs, and, and they didn't, like, you could build a stronger first week, like, like everyone's pointed out, if you wanted to, if that was really important to you. You could, you know, but yet ask, what are the other metrics? Ask Alexander has 1.3 million Instagram followers. They have 7 million plays on that song alone again on Spotify already in just a couple months. And, you know, 2.8 million monthly listeners. You know, I, I think if if you spend six weeks and you put out one song and you have X and you don't include vinyl and you number, then someone who puts out four songs and spends six months building that and sells... And maybe the vinyl's included. 
There's also all sorts of tricks that get played. There are different variants. There are different styles. There are multiple album covers. There are different versions, editions. There, it's just not apples to apples, like everybody's been saying. Another thing I want to point out is, you know, if you had all those, uh, uh, you know, seven million plays on a song, or if you talk about FM radio, for example, and you're, you know, I think a number one single is getting millions of impressions a week. If someone's hearing that, is that more important? to hear millions of people heard your song in their car on their way home from work? Or is it 10,000 people bought your CD, right? And what it really just, it's hard to know, right? How do we measure which is the bigger band? You know, like, are you trying to, if you're trying to make money and the, really the goal is to make money, one of the things I think people have to keep in mind is that, you know, FM radio, you make money off uh, the composition, off the publishing, songwriters, right? You have a couple million people for several weeks listening to your song on FM radio, you're going to make more money than if you sell 10,000 CDs. And I don't know if people know this. If you own the copyrights, when you're putting uh, Sirius XM Octane plays real money, like real money, like per play. So you got a band like Gemini Syndrome that went to number one on Octane with a song called Die With Me. They, they Maybe they don't even have any streams or they haven't really done well with uh, sales, but there's, there's sound exchange money. That's real deal stuff. So you want to succeed in different businesses in different ways. And I think that, uh, uh, you know, the ultimate measure of value in the music industry right now is catalog sales. People are looking at what is somebody's publishing worth? What is somebody's master worth? And people are selling at the end of their career, they're selling back on their catalog and they're getting massive multiples and there are there are real paydays and you can google this and read about these deals that are happening but guess what they measure they look back at a 3 to 5 year average of the streams of the income that's been earned over the last so 10 15 20 30 years after you put the thing out they're going to look at how you know, what you sold in the last 3 to 5 years and pay you a big ass multiple on that and guess what never gets captured at all how many CDs you sold in the first week <laughs> And here's the thing. If people sell 10,000 CDs in the first week, that's a one-time event that's here today and gone tomorrow. But if you're streaming and if you're built for that audience and that, uh, uh, and that business, those checks are going to come forever, forever, until, I guess, the format completely flips and changes. So it's a long tail. It's also how you compare a first-week sales number with the idea of streams, streams happen over time, inherently, not in a week. They happen over years. Literally, some people say you can't really tell how well an album does in the streaming world till about 18 months to two years after it came out. You know, guys, I saw that one of those articles about a Treyu, right? But if you look at like some of the streaming numbers that a Treyu puts up, like the, the song The Time Is Now on their last record, massive, massive. So, you know, I could sit here and do math and tell you that this service pays this match per million or whatever, and you can do the math and say, you know, in the streaming thing equals one unit. But, you know, if you're, if you're trying to measure these things, my answer to everybody is you should try to be successful in every business you can. I want to sell CDs. I want to stream. I want to sell tickets. I want the catalog. I want the XM, the Octane number one. I want to be a hip on radio, but you can't. There's limited resources, but go meet your fans every place you can. TikTok, Instagram, Octane, whatever it is. And uh, uh, 
yeah, that's that's my take on. It. Yeah, one one thing I want to say: some of these bands are doing both, right? Ice Nine Kills had a great first week, and their streams are killing it. Spirit Box streams are great, sold a lot of records, and ideally, yes, you do uh, want both. But I do. It was so. Actually, I'm going to read this. Uh, so Lamb Goat actually responded to me, which was cool. And it, by the way, not, and it, my point of uh, criticizing or commenting on what Lamb Goat said was not to be like, fuck you, Lamb Goat, because they're not the only ones that have done it. Other websites have done it. It's a thing that's going around. They just happen to kind of get the bear the brunt of my criticism. But it wasn't to just say they're bad people. Just me to go, hey, guys, essentially what you accomplish with these articles is you just make a handful of people just feel bad. That's really all it accomplishes. And it makes people think a band is shot. That's to me all it really gets done. And I guess to, to them, they're just like, well, we're sharing it. So here's what I, I got back from Lamgo. We go, hey man, just wanted to address your comments regarding sales and charts, debuts, and obviously Twitter doesn't allow for anything in bridge. Um, uh, basically, I'm still of the opinion that SoundScan and Billboard results are legitimate metrics uh, with which to consider bands' commercial viability, particularly be, particularly because streams are factored in. If Bullet for My Valentine accrued little more than a thousand album equivalent units via streaming, that's not great for a band with so many Spotify, Pandora listeners, etc. Uh, while you're correct that Bullet are still big streaming band uh, than other rock bands uh, with much better sales. Mastodon Spirit Box, I consider their latest sales numbers to be significant because a band like that with many monthly streaming listeners should be selling more albums, particularly a band that had five consecutive albums to debut in the top 20. You are correct that I've added some perspective. Uh, I could have added some perspective by publishing streaming numbers, but that doesn't change the fact that the album was not a resounding commercial success. And by the way, that's just America. I mean, it, it crushed it overseas. Um, but anyway, uh, and it goes more more now than uh, uh, more concerning, however, is that more now than ever, pop and rap dwarf metal and hard rock in the realm of streaming. And that's just the way it is. I don't write these articles of shit on bands. I've posted plenty of band scores, highest charting debut ever. Uh, sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes it's not. Either way, I'm not terribly concerned with making bands look bad. Uh, but anyway, so that so that brings up uh, a couple points. Um that I want to bring up one is this idea that 1500 streams is actually like an accurate number to equate to an album. I don't know. Is that number still the same? Is it still 1500 to, to, to equate to one? Cause album sales does not equal consumption, right? I can buy a vinyl. Most of those vinyls will sit on a fucking <laughs> bookshelf somewhere and never be played. Right. Um, and I think we're missing this gap, like this idea that if someone buys a record, they're probably only going to listen to it, what, 10 times maybe? I mean, not everyone listens to a record 100 times. But this, this idea that literally for it to be, if you have 10 songs on album, they'd have to listen to it, what, 150 times? <laughs> Makes no fucking sense to me. But there's this thing of, well, pop and hip hop is having these crazy streaming numbers. And I don't know, something about it doesn't feel accurate, right? When you tell me a song has a billion streams by like Post Malone, I'm like, no, it doesn't. I'm, it, I know how many people live on the planet Earth, okay? And to me, I'm like, oh, there's just 
a fucking room in Belarus with a hundred iPhones literally playing the song over and over again on Spotify. And they're just, that's in my mind. Belarus, Doc. Just I, I went to the I went to the Raider game last Sunday, <laughs> and the uh, Marshmallow was the halftime entertainer. And I took I don't even know who that is, right? And I said, I said, my my dad was like, "Who is who's Marshmallow?" And then, like this guy comes out with like you know the the Marshmallow head and all it. I'm like, Dad, it's a giant artist. He's like, really? And I look up on Spotify. You know how many monthly listeners Marshmallow has on Spotify? Ten million. Fifty. Like. 45 million or holy shit oh no we're shot i'm saying of course i i don't i'm out of the so what i'm trying to say is how many people live in america well 350 million 840 i feel like, I feel like it's ryan's turn to listen talk to marshmallow next, but, uh, every month in, in, in like that what yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan, and this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Right? Yeah! Yeah! The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. So, Ryan, what about this idea that the numbers don't accurately represent, in my opinion, like especially mid-level bands, like like a band that would have sold 40,000 records a few years, you know, 15 years ago, their streams don't equate to what that would be, in my opinion. And also this concept that what, why is this huge gap between what we're doing and this whole way this younger generation consumes pop and hip hop? One thing I want to say is uh, I think we're all in agreement that there's no single metric and it makes, it makes the conversation frustrating and it makes it difficult. I think for headline writers at websites like Lamgoat, there's no single metric that can tell you this band is bigger than this band, which is what everybody wants to know ultimately is where, how do you scale it? That's what a chart is, right? Uh, and there isn't a single metric that can tell you that. There's a lot of great metrics that I think <laughs> when put together uh, will give you that picture. And I think that's what we're all kind of striving towards. But yeah, I, certainly I don't think any of us is arguing 
that first week sales is some big indicator of of where a band stands overall. Uh, having said that, I think that you know that golf. One thing that I think is confusing and difficult to grasp intellectually for all of us, for me included, and for people in general, is when you hear you know, Guns N' Roses November Rain video has been watched on YouTube a billion times. There's still something in our heads that I think equates to like when you used to hear, when you used to hear 50 Cent just sold 5 million records, you know that that means 5 million people own that same compact disc that you own. When you hear a billion people listen to this Post Malone song on Spotify, I think our brains are still picturing a billion people. Well, it's not a billion people. That song once. Yeah. A lot of people listen to it over and over again. Okay. And that's the thing is like, where even, you know, and, and that's why I think that the uh, monthly listeners on Spotify is, an even, is a more important metric than even followers. Uh, and let alone a uh, number of times a song is, is streamed. But to get to your question, I want to bring up one example from our world, Avenged Sevenfold. That was a band that was doing, you know, we, we're talking about, you know, Mike mentioned the the Rise Records kind of Warped Tour era when, you know, a band like If Mice and Men or Sleeping With Sirens might put up a 50 to 60,000 first week sales number uh, on records that, by the way, would, would ultimately top out at, what, 150,000? You know, it's like they did most of their sales in that week. Uh, for all the different reasons that it, we've, we've detailed here. And the time um, leading up to that week. Yes. Let's just be yes. clear. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like you said, and in, in, in the way that you could, it's a double scan. If you're like, Hey, when you buy the vinyl, you get a download code for the digital. That's two albums for us. Nice. Even though it's the price of one. Yeah. All that stuff. Avenged was a band that consistently during that time was doing 160 to 170 to 200,000 first week album after album. So the last time they put up one of those numbers, which I think is probably the last time we'll have seen it for this genre, right, was in 2013 when they put out Hail to the King and it did 159, 160,000 first week. So that next record, The Stage, did half that, right? So they went from doing 150 to 200 every, you know, first week every album to all of a sudden go from 159, 160,000 to I think it was 76,000 on the stage. It was also a, a surprise release, though. There was no. And this is this this is where I'm going, though. This is exactly where I'm going. You can say, and certainly you would in that camp, or if you're a big fan of that camp and that band, as I am, it was their first record on a new label. They were one of the first rock bands to try the Beyonce model of like surprise. Here's an album, the Kanye model. Uh, it didn't work for a rock band the way that it should have worked. Uh, it's a concept album. You know, Hail to the King had those like ACDC Metallica rewrites almost, you know, that were like, we're going to make a black album kind of thing. And then to all of a sudden go into this like trippy, like we're into Pink Floyd and it's very proggy and it has this big heady. Hail to the King had more hits flat out. It just had bigger hits. But, but the thing is, and this goes back to Mike's point about, you know, what does a particular athlete's average points in a particular game mean if, if uh, you know, he had a torn hamstring and we didn't know about it? I will say as somebody who just got into fantasy football a couple of years ago, having not been into professional sports my entire life, we do have that info. They actually do give that to us. We're seeing constantly, like I have a, 
you know, Aaron Rodgers on my fantasy team and he stubbed his toe last week, literally a toe injury. And I'm on pins and needles waiting to see if he's going to play or not in a couple of days. I thought he stubbed his brain. <laughs> but right. That was the week before. <laughs> and, and we, we have, we do have access to that and we are taking that into account. And I think that what needs to happen with music, recorded music, streaming and all of that eventually is that we will take all this stuff into account. So I bring up the event sevenfold model to ask a very simple question to the, each of the three of you. Having said all of that, knowing recorded versus streaming, knowing they switched, they were suing Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers crapped out this uh, best of against the band's wishes right before the stage came out. And, you know, the stage was a surprise to release. It's a concept album. It doesn't have the bangers. It doesn't have the hits. So Venge Sevenfold, when the stage came out, were they as big of a band as they were when Hail to the King came out? Yes or no? I'll put that question to all three of you. I would say yes, they were as big a band, but they just put out a record that wasn't as well received. But that doesn't... And if you... As big as the record before. No. And what makes us... How do we know that? Um... I'm not trying to trick Eddie. Yeah, sure. No, 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 no. I, I, I guess I'm going with because I'm like you, a super fan. Like I love Venge. So we're immediately prone to. Um, I'll be the first one to bring up all those reasons why it didn't do as well as the record before, but it doesn't change the fact that it didn't do as well. Yeah, and I, the problem with that, I'm a little too invested, and I like I would have talked about the creative and like why I think this record was a reaction. So like just purely based on analytics i don't know if it's easy to tell that story in my opinion and there is always a story and i can tell you from doing this newsletter the number of times i've gotten an email from a label president a manager you know on sunday night going hey when our first week number comes out tomorrow they didn't count the 1100 scans from our record release show we're fighting with them right now we're supposed to get that in can you hold off a couple hours before you publish your email i get that request all the time and by the way i honor those requests all the time if somebody comes to me and is like hey our number is not going to be accurate because it's missing this context or whatever i'm happy to put that context in there the whole idea of all of this we all want this genre to win it's in all of our best interests and we're all fans of it and I, they, 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 what i think to answer your question is you just nailed it right there um the question, do first week sales matter? The answer is yes. And the reason why is because people think it matters. Right? That's if the whole industry got together. To make money, to, to your point, if the goal is to make money, well, if Mike, oh, Mike right oh. now is putting together an Ice Nine Kills tour, right? Not to, you know, obviously tours are always being put together. If you're negotiating with other bands that you're going to be either supporting or co-headlining with or going to be supporting you, everybody's camp is pushing numbers back and forth to each other. And it's going to include, it may, as you said, when when these big companies, these corporations and hedge funds and everything that are buying these, you know, David Bowie's catalog and Sting's catalog and whatever, I think that might be a little apples to oranges because even in those cases, no, they're not going to be talking about the first week sales. They will be talking about chart debuts though they are gonna no, they well are hold, gonna, on, hold on hold on wait 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 wait, wait. It's gonna eric say 10 number for, one song first first and foremost albums or what you know ryan asked each of us a question so i think yes. it's for, fair mm -hmm. eric that you answer the question i want to answer it the answer is it's in the streams if you want to figure out which one's records bigger now that we've had the benefit of time 
and you're not worried about gaming the system or which one came out this way or was vinyl ready, just look. I'll look at it now. I already know without yeah. looking, though. We I, called up, I called up uh, Spotify, <laughs> and I looked up Avenged Sevenfold. Yeah. Their biggest streaming song is, you know? She Shepherd of Fire. Hail to the Hail King. To the King. Yeah. Hail to the King. From 347 million plays on right. Spotify. And all I can see on the app that I'm looking at is the top five. And I do not see anything from the stage uh, on that list. I do see Hail to the King as that and Shepherd of Fire is their number five streaming. Now that's current right now. I don't know the whole total and you can see up to 10 songs. We all know though, We're just, why are we even doing this exercise? We all know that the stage is nowhere near as big as the record before it. So you and asked that was the, the And that was the picture of the first week and it's proven to still be the picture Okay. However many years later. Okay, so you answered the question, Eric. I'll answer the question. I think Hail to the King was bigger, um, still is bigger. Now, Eric, you just made a very great point. And Doc, let me go back one second. I think asking the question of does 1,500 streams, is that fair? It's purely philosophical, right? It is what it is. And the point that, I, you know, why I like this conversation so much is, I'm not here to debate whether or not that metric is fair. I'm here to say, given all of the metrics that we have, is the way it's being presented actually equal, right? Um, now I'll ask the question because Eric, you just led, which is Doc, Eric and Ryan, do first week sales matter to you? Um, I'm of the... I, I would say every band, everyone who was in a band wants to have a good first week. Do they matter to you? Yeah, like, but, but it's it's like what I think what Ryan said, like when you have a big first week, it's like, yeah, like you got your championship belt in the in the air. And when it doesn't go the way, you're like, hey, you know, it's kind of, it's either here or there. It could matter, it could not. So I think, I you know, if I'm being honest with myself, I want to say yes, because it's that thing you know, like we've all been in that situation where you're writing a bio, right, for a band. And you, what do you do when you're writing a bio? Is you hail your achievements. I'm, I'm familiar with that. If only we had a bio writer on the <laughs> yeah. Right? So, right? And, exactly. And just like if you get a number one radio song, like Asking Alexandria, how that's going to go in the bio, the... It debuted in the top 10 and, you know, was the number one on the hard rock charts. It's going to go in the bio as well. So it all builds to a narrative of we're kicking ass. All right. So if I, if subsequent I, question, Eric, to do first week scans matter. Do bios matter? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Ryan. No, but like. Uh, well, I have a persuasive if argument. I'm representing, if I'm representing asking Alexandria, and I do, and I'm trying to find an opportunity for them. I'm going to be talking about the fact that they just had the number one rock song in the country last week. And if I represent Ice Nine Kills, and I do, I'm going to be talking about the fact that they sold almost 25, 20 some thousand copies the first week. And if I represent uh, Bad Wolves, and I do, I'm going to talk about the fact that their songs are streaming uh, at, at an incredible rate and they had five straight number ones right out of the box. 
And if I represent Gemini syndrome, and I do, I'm going to talk about how they went to number one on the Biggins countdown at Octane because you're going to lead with your best qualities. That's the point that we're trying to say. And yeah, it's, it's like a now, date. Now, I, but do first week sales matter to you, Eric? Yes, because that's one of many different ways that you can succeed. And, and I want to succeed in all of those ways. And so if somebody's strong, look, when I read Ryan's email every week, go look down the stream and destroy and you'll see it's interesting because he just he'll say the biggins countdown is here fm radio is here billboards here the the first week sales are here and you'll see and it's not the same bands after a while though i almost like a like a stock portfolio or something i want to see i start to see the same names on every chart somewhere right and i'll see that this one may be number 7 here but it's number 2 there and it's number and in the aggregate, overall, they seem to be winning on all counts. And maybe that's what we need to do. We need to kind of look at almost a, the entire picture. Uh, and, and I think Ryan does a really great job of setting forth to that. But does one of those things matter? Yes, but it's just one. And it remember, it's gone after a week. By the very nature of your question, it's only relevant for about a week. Yeah. Well, let me let me counter that, right? It it. In theory, it's only relevant for a week. But if you look at a band like Ice Nine Kills, who has all of these other amazing things going on, right? And had we had a, what I would say is a subpar first week, it probably wouldn't have mattered. That said, the fact that we had a great first week, I think did it's really changed help. The conversation it's about changed the, the conversation. It has. It has. People, I can say from firsthand experience, People are speaking about the band differently the, for the past week and a half than they were two weeks before. So to By me, way, it does matter, right? It, it actually does matter. But if we, if anybody out there had a subpar first week or something where the, you know, we're not necessarily comparing apples to apples. I think all of the things you're saying, Eric, make all the sense in the world which and is there's Mike, so was, many other pieces of data to pull from that do but matter. You as the longtime manager of ice nine kills. And I know, cause gosh, I, gosh, I have a front row seat to what's going on in that world. Right. And I can tell you that you worked your ass off to try to achieve a result that would do things like I heard doc coil, someone else I respect uh, on the X band podcast, uh, uh, interviewing Dan Sugarman and speaking Great things about Ice Nine Kills. And I received my Stream and Destroy email today, Ryan, and I saw that tour poster in there. And I saw the, the last week, the data that you said that the most songs in the top 200 were Ice Nine Kills or something. And, and it's all self-perpetuating. We're all contributing on a daily basis to this conversation that's over time painting a picture. I had a boss one time that I asked him, hey, does it really matter if you speak and if you do speaking engagements or if you do press or if you do these things, you really get a lot of business out of it. And he looked at me and he said, "Not, I don't really get business from any one particular thing that I do. But over time, if you're out there and you're in the conversation, you're constantly being presented as an expert. Over time, the perception turns in. You know, is it any one Instagram post that you make or is it the all of them you make over two or three years that helps to paint the picture of who you are. So I think, yes, first week to answer your question directly, absolutely matters. Yes, it does. Uh, but it's far from the whole story. Mike, you have that great quote, right? Great content over, say it, say it for the people. <laughs> great content done consistently over time. 
right? And in anything, which is what Eric just uh, summarized. So Ryan, the first week scans sales matter to you. Yes. And I would say that I'm in agreement with everyone here. And I understand why it's, this is why this conversation is so great because I think we're, I think some of us are hearing ourselves say things that we didn't realize, you know, it's like we're, our, you can, you can hear our thoughts like crystallizing as they're being spoken. And I think that's great. And, you know, to Eric's point, I think we're all in agreement that they matter, but only as one metric and to doc's point, they matter when they're good for you. <laughs> And but no, but matter who cares when they're bad for you. And but 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 with that, can I ask that same question, everyone? Should these websites do those articles that say such and such? Let me just let's put a pin in that, like, because I just I want to finish answering, Mike. Sure, sorry about that. No, no worries. Um, I think I think they matter as one of many metrics, as Eric said. Having said that, I would also throw in that you know to Eric's point. I mean, look, I love Bad Wolves. I'm a big supporter of Bad Wolves. And that is 95% my friendship and relationship with Doc, right? I love Ice Nine Kills. A huge percentage of that is my close relationship with Mike. Eric's a good friend of mine. I love Spencer. I like Ben Bruce. I like Danny Warsnop. I like the whole asking camp. So we're all, we're all like advocates here, right? But something I, I struggle with in doing the newsletter and find myself confronted with from time to time. Thankfully, it's rare, but it, it does happen. My own internal battle. All these great celebratory moments, a big Ice Nine Kills first week, a number one Asking Alexandria song, Bad Wolves, you know, getting plaques for songs, right? By the way, no joke, Bad Wolves is number three right now sitting at, at radio. Amazing. Maybe number one by the time this thing comes out. Those celebratory moments aren't victories and don't matter if we aren't honest about the more difficult numbers, the harder moments, the, you know, and, and let me bring up a, a great example. Another friend of mine, Ronnie Radke and falling in reverse. That dude has been counted out and considered over with multiple times in his career now, going all the way back to getting kicked out of escape to fit escape the fate and going to prison. When that happened, escape the fate, like a few minutes later, they're signing to Interscope and they're getting a huge merch advance from some big merch company and they're on every big tour and blah, 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 blah. And it looked like Ronnie was their ex-singer who's rotting in prison, you know? And then he comes back out, has a big first week with this new band, you know, and, and I don't want to sidetrack us by telling that whole story. I want to get specifically into the first week thing. That falling in reverse record coming home which was the fourth Falling in Reverse album, had a very disappointing first week. And this is going back like a few years, right? So this isn't even with all the modern, this isn't supply chain, this isn't lack of vinyl. And I can tell you like that record was a weird Falling in Reverse record in the sense that it was very sort of arty and exploratory and vibey and not the, not what his fans expected from him before. Uh, you know, again, like there's, you can handicap it with all this like, extra info of context about why it didn't perform well. The reality is it did not do well. It did not have a good first week. Fast forward to he starts this very sort of rap type adventure of I'm just going to do singles, right? I'm going to do singles. I'm going to put all the money that I would have put into an album into making an amazing music video and writing and producing this great song. 
And he did like four of those. And one of them, just the most recent of them just went platinum. And this is, this is a guy that just a few records, his most recent record, actually, he hasn't put out an album since coming home. His most recent album had a disappointing first week sales number. He made a huge pivot creatively, commercially, marketing-wise, strategy-wise, in every conceivable way, and it's paid off. He got a gold record award, speaking to one of Eric's points from a while back, for his first Falling Universe album that's like that's 10 years old now. It took 10 years to go gold. He just got a platinum award for Popular Monster, the song he put out two years ago. Platinum. So I, I, I would say that whole story because if, if we're just going to celebrate and we're not going to ever be real about when things stumble, when things aren't working, would he have ever gotten that platinum black for Popular Monster? You know, if he just like had dismiss well nobody buys records anymore and blah, 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 and all the excuses like right because to me it looks like that was a camp that looked at that disappointing first week and changed their operation based on the data that was available to them about how things were going so it's not to say again that it's just the first week number but it is important i just want to real quick i just want to answer mike's other question i had the same question maybe 10 years ago, do, does a bio matter? Because bios traditionally were a thing that a record label prepared for a band and it got mailed out to magazine editors, uh, maybe a late night TV show booker, maybe some radio people. And it was a piece of paper that came with a physical CD and maybe some little chotskis to try to convince you about what, who this band was, whatever. That whole landscape has changed so dramatically that one would think that's not something you need anymore. But what's replaced it, I would argue, is a landscape where a concise, informative, thorough, well-written bio is more important than ever. Because now, instead of just living on that little eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that gets sit in the mail and thrown in the trash at a newspaper somewhere, now that bio lives on your Spotify profile, on your YouTube about page, on every one of your social media profiles, Wikipedia, you know, every DSP, it's everywhere. It's in all these places where people are going to discover you and are going to have an opportunity to read. So I think that you uh, see how I set him up. You guys know Ryan writes bios and he's available. I I don't handle his uh, his rates, but <laughs> we'll gladly take a commission. Invoice me for your your commissions. Um, yeah, and and I'll, I'll remind Doc of uh, one of my least favorite sentences in a bio ever, which was. They may look like living color, but they sound like at the gates. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's, I think it's my favorite. <laughs> I love it. I'm doubling down on it. Hey, uh, if I can add this to the conversation, we talked about ideas crystallizing as we talk. And something really occurred to me that I think we're completely missing the boat on this conversation that needs to be chimed in. If you say, why does, why does hip hop and pop and stuff like that? Why, why don't, well, let's just leave it at pop for a moment. Why does that do so much better on streaming and they sell 90 records? Whereas, you know, uh, spirit box might sell X and, and not stream as much or whatever. What it comes down to is the difference between loving a song and loving a band. Right. And some of these bands have careers. Some of the stuff in our genre you really want to be around these people, touch these people. You want to know what they ate for breakfast. You know what they look like. You want to write about them. Some of the bands aren't like that. And it's more about hit songs or big songs. And people are fans of those songs. Songs 
It's songs do better on streaming. It's a bigger deal. They're just one-time thing, and people are invested in that song as opposed to sometimes people are invested in the band. And maybe it's a smaller fan base that is really passionate about a band that's going to be reflected in strong first week sales. So you're going to see that there's a certain type of fan, I guess, that's happening that may not really be the same people that are listening to rock radio and just loving a particular song. And so you could see falling reverse. Maybe it was, you know, on the down, but Ronnie comes back with a song that captivates and captures people's attention. And that's the most beautiful thing of all of this. Every band, as long as you're still in the game and you have a footprint, you know, you're able to, uh, uh, you're one song, you're one hit song away from cracking it all open right again. And the last thing I'll say is that the, the, the digital footprint for each band, like Bad Wolves, for example, you built a base on streaming. Maybe a lot of it had to do with a certain cover song you put out, right? That's dramatically streamed better than anything else that Bad Wolves has ever done. But yet, when you put the next song out, you get to put it out with a base of the followers and the monthly listeners and the algorithmic juice that comes with having that big song. So that matters too. So in the end, you know, first week sales don't help your next album five years ago, but uh, uh, strong streams sure do help the next song you release on the same streaming platform. So I, I just wanted to chime in on, on a couple of things there. One, I actually came to a revelation when I was kind of asking these questions that I actually think one of the big reasons why pop and hip hop stream so well is just because their audience is young. And, and like when you got 10 year olds and 12 year olds and 13 year olds, like they're consuming music in a, in a totally different way. And it's just, it's just a generational thing. I think that's kind of the thing, but I do agree with the, with the song thing. Obviously if you got a hit song, you got a hit and it's just, it's just magnanimous and it's out there. But to respond to something Ryan said about not being self-reflective about how um, a disappointing number or a non-suboptimal number, uh, I'm totally in agreement with that. And that's half of the conversations me and Eric have is being, is not deluding ourselves, is not, is looking at the big picture and go, okay, this is not where we really want it to be or this. But that changes when you have a situation where our record label literally says, we don't care about record sales. We don't care about the first week. And we're not going to do things that reinforce that. So it is, it, so we literally have the, the, the conversation, like, where do we stand? Because we don't really know. And you want the big number to reflect that and give you an accurate version. But if, this other band has a completely different strategy and sets up their record for four months and puts out five songs and nine videos and is on tour the whole time. And they're doing all these things to, to and you're doing the little opposite of that. You go, and then you put a singer change on top of it. And then you put, uh, you know, negative uh, reinforcement in online spaces and all these other things. You're like, I don't know where we stand, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like, so, I think I think I'm completely re realistic and don't and I look at stuff and go, hey, here's the where areas we need to improve in. Sorry, go ahead. And Doc, think and I, and I wasn't saying you don't. Yeah. I was saying and, us collectively, like we need. And I think I think I'm with a group of people right now where we are are all very real about it. But I don't know that I would say the same about a lot of our peers. 
Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge everybody to do this, right? Um, think about this. If I told you that a certain television show was number one in the Nielsen ratings, but they don't sell as many downloads on iTunes, would that matter to you? If I told you always sunny in Philadelphia is one of the best uh, uh, selling episodes on, I, I made that up. I have no idea, but this other show is uh, uh, number one in ratings because that's probably an analogous thing if you think about it. Because television, I'm talking about free television. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't require someone to pull their wallet out. But there are certain types of television shows that I bet do a lot better in sales or in the old days DVDs. Game of Thrones was one of the most pirated shows. You can't forget about piracy in this conversation. Eric, what I'm what I'm sort of hearing you get at is we're a little too in the weeds because this is what we live and breathe each and every day. And, you know, to the casual fan or the one who just wants to support the artist, none of this stuff actually really matters, right? They either like a band or they don't. I, w- I will say this. I used to, when I was more uh, of a consumer and less in it, if something was hot, it might inspire me to check it out. If I saw Sepultura debut in a Billboard Top 200 and I never heard the band before, I, I, now I got to hear it. What is this? Because I, I want to be a part of the conversation in the community. I want to be embracing every, the things that everyone, that's something that's special about heavy metal and hard rock and punk too, is there's a community. I sometimes say, look, if you're really a band, what do you want? You want to be on Octane? You want to be on the Wimmerfest? You want Allison Hagendorf and Susie Cole to put you on certain playlists? And you want to be on tour with other bands that are in that community? It's pretty much what you want to do. You know, Doc, one of the things about, a label, which is just like any other lane in the business. And myself as a manager, Eric, as an attorney who works hand in hand with a manager, Ryan, who, you know, is on here because of stream and destroy, but is a fantastic manager, right? We get to see the whole picture. I'm not saying your record label is right or wrong. I am saying they may have a vision that supports what they want to do for whatever their agenda is, which is to, you know, presumably uh, make money. Right. And so one of the things that I like about the position that I sit in, but is oftentimes also frustrating is, yeah, I've determined that the whole scope matters because I look after the whole scope. But if I was only looking after t-shirt sales, for instance, Mm -hmm. I mean, ice night kills is a hell of a property. I don't care whether they are selling any music, right. I care that they're selling t-shirts going back to the brand part. So you know, it can be challenging for an artist that is at a label. And again, you know, I think your label is very forward thinking and is probably trying to say, hey, let's not worry about sales, first week sales, because in five years, if we're still having this conversation, something's really screwed up. We'll be having hopefully a much easier conversation based off of data that I hear Ryan's trying to put together and someone like me has wanted to put together for years, right? Ryan knows very well that, you know, when I was bringing up artists that weren't selling records, but were selling tons of shirts, I wanted to have something called shirt scan. You know, the problem is the data is not readily available. It's private data. And to get somebody to share that is really challenging, but I wanted it to be a different metric, right? And so what I'm assuming Ryan's working on is a way to pull at least all publicly available data and hopefully get access to some of this private data, pull it all in one place and give us a way to 
uh, you know, measure it. Last thing on this point is there's always going to be subjectivity, right? I'm not a huge fan of college football, but my understanding is rankings come out every week. There's a whole lot of data, schedule strength, how many things you've won, how many games you played at home, how many you played away, what's your point spread, you name it. But ultimately it's left up to someone, a, a panel of people to ultimately decide, right? If, you know, and this is what happens when there's not a clear, you know, usually the top football team at the end of the year is the only one that's left undefeated, right? Or one of the only ones. And so it becomes a little more clear, but all along the way, if you know, my team's lost one game and your team's lost one game, well, you know, there's, it's open to so much interpretation. And so I think no matter how much data we get, right? I might look at it a little bit differently than Ryan Downey looks at it, who might look at it a little bit differently than Eric German looks at it, who might look at it a little bit differently than Doc Coyle looks at it. And, and, and Mike, the, that's all so well said. The only reason any of this really, really matters, it really comes down to when other areas of the business are trying to figure out how to value you. Maybe there's yes. a city of opportunity, whether it's a tour or festival billing or a chart position on a radio or whatever. And they're trying to figure out who are people really wanting to hear or see or perform. I saw, uh, I know that uh, at the festivals, when you go to a music festival, how do you know who sold the tickets, really? When you go to Welcome to Rockville and somebody bought a ticket, how do you know? One way is maybe look at the T-shirt sales, right? Or one way, but you just don't. They have to say who they're there to see at the door. Oh, wait, no, that was punk rock in 1990. <laughs> they sold you that, the Viper Room. Ultimately, when you're trying to figure out who's who you're going to take out on tour, you're looking at Ryan's email. And that is influencing those kinds of decisions. And frankly, when you're looking to see what song's going to get added to radio, you are looking at who's streaming more. And, you know, that's, I guess it matters. It matters to get more opportunities. At the end of the day, this is about art and it's about making money, art versus commerce. And I think, uh, uh, so it really matters and it really doesn't. And I love that streaming has democratized it kind of like how record sales were traditionally once upon a time in that, you know, there's a lot of people that we all work with who we love and we know are passionate and smart and get it. But that doesn't change the fact that even in our little bubble, there are certain gatekeepers in certain places. You know what I mean? Like where there is just one person deciding, does this song get added here or whatever? And so I like the idea that those folks are also looking at, at metrics that are determined by fans. You know, it's like when Black Veil Brides came out and got their Golden God Award at the Revolver Awards and the whole crowd in the Nokia theater started booing them. That was a fan voted award. Like, sorry, dude, you should, <laughs> your band should have had more fans going online and voting for them like Black Veil did. So I do appreciate that democracy there you know and that that's now part of the conversation you know so yeah I, I if there's a way to summarize it for all of us i think it's that the first week sales do still matter not as much as they did before and only matter as part of a larger picture relative to a whole bunch of other numbers is that fair to say yeah and uh i was gonna ask everyone for final comments but i feel like everyone kind of did it naturally kind of did a uh wonderful summation and uh 
you know, it wasn't, you know, I didn't have to do much refereeing. I feel like it was, it was smooth. You guys know what you're doing. All right. Real professionals of the, of the, of the craft. But listen, I, I appreciate everyone's perspective here. It's still, uh, I don't think we have all the answers yet, but we definitely got a lot of great insight and, and different things for me to think about. I love this idea of the, the democratization. I think, I don't, you know, I think there's elements where we can glean just that difference between hype and buzz, right? Like you can see a lot in the streaming, you can see where organically things are happening and, and the data to some degree doesn't lie. Sometimes it lies, but not always. Yeah, you uh, know what? You might have more streams if you got on the right playlist, right? Yeah, for sure. But I but here's the thing about Spotify, they just did this thing where they now you can see all the streams of the entire album, which to me is like a game changer. Cause now I can go, I want to see what the the lowest streaming song your album is and compare that to the lowest streaming song on someone else's album. And that tells me the organic stuff. Cause that's not being funneled through a playlist or it's not being funneled through a, um, another like algorithm for some other band. But anyway, except we're gonna- that the first track on the ice nine kills album is actually just, uh, an, an intro. intro. Well, I don't like, count no that music. So, I don't count that. Again, we're gonna always be able to find like the the loophole. Mm. But I do appreciate mm. your point, and yes. I can't wait for part two, three, four, five. Because <laughs> yeah, I already have, of, I already have what a question. We're doing here. I already have a yes or no question. I wanted to ask all of you that we didn't get to, so I'm gonna say cliffhanger. Right. Should we cliffhang it? And cliffhanger. Hey, we'll, we'll this, we'll, or you can just do it on Twitter, and we'll just do a thread. <laughs> I was saying, Ryan, should you ask it? And then we get no answer. Yeah, I don't know if right? I want to ask this one on Twitter because I don't know if I want a public record of it. It would be like the end of uh, Back to the Future. Just everyone but, has but to to, wait. to bring us full circle, I was going to ask, Bolt for My Valentine and Spirit Box each headline a show across the street from each other tonight. Which show what, draws more people? It depends which city. <laughs> Probably. I mean, totally. It totally does. Just as when we were talking about Bullet for My Valentine having 4 million monthly listeners, how many of those are in foreign territories? Which, as the the numbers you're sending, Ryan, are US only, if I'm correct. No, no, the Spotify numbers I send are global. Global? Just the the first week. Those are US. Yeah. So the streaming equivalent that goes into that is US only. Is US. Yeah, correct. And and by the way, you. The answer to your question, Ryan, is. If you're in an industry town, Spirit Box. If you're in uh, a rank and file, uh, non-industry town, maybe Bullet. I thought this and was by, the cliffhanger. And by the way, and by by virtue of that, Spirit Box should be headlining the tour with Under Oath and Every Time I Die, right? Right. <laughs> and by the way, Every Time I Die just had a huge first week, but not, 7, not as, of that 14,000 was vinyl. And by the way, but guess what? Not as big as Spirit Box, so apparently they should be opening for them, right? If that was the only metric. but it's Exactly. Not. All right. Fellas, everyone have an excellent night. Thank you so much for your time and your insight and just your company. It's a it's a it's a it's an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you guys. All right. And I hope to see you soon. I Thank love you guys. Thing. This was awesome. Doc. Thanks, it. guys. Cheers, Thanks, everyone. Bye bye.
just heard die with me by gemini syndrome and i just had to play them because eric was talking about how he represented them and they're good buddies of mine meeg's a guitar player ex cold chamber he's he's the, he's the ultimate homie and i've just been hearing that song for the last couple months and it's great and so you know gotta gotta, gotta spread some love around that's what that's what we do on the x-man and i just hope you guys enjoyed that conversation listening back to it i go Probably should do things like that more often. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe this show is free. This is uh, some real inside information. Some, you know, just really in depth. Everyone brought their A game. Everyone did their homework. Uh, of course, it's their profession. So I'm, I'm sure they were prepared <laughs> to, to the utmost. I, I felt a couple times that I, it's so funny when you listen back to a conversation that you did. Cause I listen to all these. I don't just, do this thing and put them out for the most part. But uh, Ryan goes, he's like, what did you, so do you, <laughs> do you believe in, in first weeks or not? 
and, and I'm like, I'm like dancing around it. And you, and only after the fact you, you see these little things you do, cause I wanted to, you know, I was definitely not biased in the conversation. So it's, it's funny to hear yourself cause you can kind of get a better perspective on how you were conducting yourself during a conversation. And so it's just, it's just fascinating, but that was amazing to listen back to, uh, even more amazing than when I was engaged with it because being the host, I'm trying to kind of make sure everything stays on track and a lot of things going through my mind. So yeah, a, a lot to unpack there. And if you're into data and statistics and analysis and like figuring out, you know, I think this is more of a resource for anyone who's involved in the industry or someone who's interested in taking their art and, and their products uh, in, in the industry and, and kind of seeing where they stand. So it's fascinating. We probably have more numbers now to kind of see where we sit and in a detailed way than, than ever before. So I'm, I'm always going to be asking these questions, always trying to figure it out. But anyway, I'm very tired and I'm going to try and actually it's, oh, it's a holiday week. It's a it's Thanksgiving this week. So everyone in, enjoy your holiday. And, you know, I know I was, I was just hanging out with this band silence from Sweden, really nice guys. And they were like, yeah, we don't have, you know, Thanksgiving. I get, I know it's an American holiday, but I don't know. I'm kind of, I was telling them, I was like, yeah, I mean, all holidays are stupid. <laughs> like, that's why I don't get, it's like, you know, every couple of years, like a new holidays or an old holiday is like, it's like not cool anymore. It's like, Hey, Thanksgiving. It's like, you know, it's about genocide. And then Columbus day genocide. I'm like, okay. And you know, I, I don't know, <laughs> but I, but I really think they're all the holidays are stupid. You know, I mean, we're just, if you get off, that's, that's good. All right. We were like, yes, get off work. Yes. Oh yeah. President say, yeah, yeah, we need off. I don't know why. <laughs> You know, I, Veterans Day, good holiday, probably a good holiday. Uh, you know, Christmas, whatever. I mean, I, I like everything around Christmas. Like, I like the activities involved. I like the sentiment, but the story behind it, I don't. I'm I'm not really invested in that. I don't really care about that. Like, I'm totally down to in, to take part in the holiday, but I'm saying the genesis of most of them is pretty stupid. That's all I'm saying, in my opinion. Um. You know, and and I think we need, we need less holidays, not more. But they're just gonna keep adding them. But hey, if you more days off from work, I guess we all we all win there. But you know, Thanksgiving it's the eating holiday, and many of them are eating holidays, right? Eating, drinking. You had me at all that. I don't really why some people seven hundred years ago did some shit, and now we eating a lot. How we got there is really not of concern to me. Are we eating now? Yes. Are we drinking? Are we eating pie? It's a big win. All right. We I, I don't I don't really see why these things need to be dissected so meticulously. But with that, I hope everyone has a lovely holiday. Enjoy yourselves. Don't go out on Black Friday and do anything dumb. All right. Stay on the internet and order there where it's safe. Okay. All right. I gotta run going to be busy for me, but in, 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 in a good way, no rest for the, for the weary or the wicked. Anyway, I'm rambling. I love y'all. Have a good holiday. Mamba out.
This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.